I'm going to be preaching a sermon about recharging your battery. You know, when you think about a battery, probably you really don't think much about your battery until one day it is what? Dead. Then you think about the battery. It's one of those hidden things, but it's very, very important because when your battery is dead, for example, you cannot even start your engine. You can't crank your vehicle. And of course, when uh, you know you have so many things on your vehicle, whether it be a car, or truck, or whatever, that uh, uses electricity, the battery. You know, you think about our lights, you think about our windshield wipers, you think about the radio, you think about the electric windows. You have all these things. Now, when the engine is running on your car, on your vehicle, there's an alternator. And that alternator is, is supplying energy. In fact, the alternator, in a way, is kind of recharging the battery. But when the engine is going, all these electrical things on our vehicle, they're getting their power really being produced by the alternator. Now, if you turn the engine off, and I hope you won't do this, but if you turn your engine off and you leave your lights on for a long period of time, ultimately, here's what happens. It just drains all the power from the battery, and, and the next thing you know, the battery is dead. Now, as I was thinking about that, even as recent as this past Monday, thinking about what we're going through, I thought this. In some ways, our lives are like a battery. I mean, we each have energy, a certain amount of energy. Maybe you say, I don't have as much as I used to have, or maybe you say, I have as much as I've always had, or whatever. But during the course of most days, most of us say to ourselves, I'm kind of tired. And sometimes at night, we flop down in our easy chair, and what do we do? We drift off to sleep. What's happened our energy has been drained out just like the energy is drained out of a battery. Now, here's what I know. Proof of my statement is this. No one listening to the sound of my voice has the same energy they had before the pandemic. Nobody. You know, the pandemic has been, in a way, like a storm. And the fact of the matter is, if you think back, and I want us to do this for just a moment, is we think back like March 2020. From that point to this point, there have been seven, I'm going to call them storms, that have come to us. And not only the seven I'm going to mention, I'll mention two or three more after I mention these seven. But what these storms have done, some have drained some of you more than maybe some of the others have. But we deal with these every day and knowingly or unknowingly what's happening as these storms just keep on coming. They just drain our energy. And after a while, we're just somewhat worn out with the thing and everybody is going through it to some degree or another. Now, you might want to take your bulletin, not that it's all this important, but I'm going to mention these seven storms real quickly, and they're going to put them on the screen. And, of course, your list even may be longer than what I'm going to mention. Of course, number one would be, I've just mentioned it, I'm going to call it the pandemic storm. You know, in 1918, of course, there was a worldwide pandemic where one-third of the world was infected with that virus. 
And um, like it, it just an unbelievable number of people died all over the world. And of course, then there was no vaccine. There was really not much you could do with it. But not any of you, I don't think, were living back then. The fact of the matter is uh, the pandemic has just changed everything. It's been like a storm. I mean, you of course, you turn the TV on, the radio on. It's just, it's just all day, 24-7. We're just hearing all this stuff, and we don't sometimes realize it, but it's just kind of draining our energy, just like, like, like a battery gets drained. But not only have we had the pandemic storm, we've also, since uh, March 2020, we've had what I'm going to call the political storm. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, now, we've had disagreements in politics as long as I can remember in my life, but I think I would be on track saying we've never seen anything like the political storm that we are seeing in our day and time. And, you know, here again, it's, TV's just full of it. Media's full of it. We just hear, you know, you have this side presenting their case, this side presenting their case. And after a while, you just get drained. Your energy just gets drained with that. Not only that, we, we've had the financial storm. You know, millions of Americans lost their jobs since March 2020. Many, many others have been uh, furloughed. Others have had their hours cut. Uh, there's just been this financial storm. We've all watched on TV where, like, you would just see in huge, maybe, uh, stadium, monstrous parking lots, there would just be rows of people in their vehicles waiting their turn to drive up to be given a box of food. And, you, you know, when I first saw that, I thought, you know, is this America where we have this many people? Now, we've always had people that need food, and our church is very vitally involved in that. And I'll say this. Uh, we'll be getting geared up this week to see how we can reach out and help our friends in Louisiana. But, but it isn't just that. Uh, it, it's just, there's just been an unbelievable storm going on that's been very, very draining to so many people. And then I think another storm that maybe you and I don't think about as much, but we've really been through in the last uh, year and a half, two years, uh, an unprecedented racial storm. And you know, I'm just going to say this about that. I really, this is just me, I really thought we had made more progress in that than I think we maybe have really made. And, and we've, we've watched all that, and it's, it's, it's just been a very draining thing. And then, and then we've had the social storm. I'm going to label it that. We've had all these protests. Now, we've, we've had protests before. But I've never in my lifetime seen protests with all the violence that we had this time. People just breaking in businesses and taking merchandise and just walking out the front door. And, you know, I thought, my gracious. Well, we watch all that and we have our opinions about all that. But what's going on, it's kind of like the lights left on on the automobile, but the engine's off. And all that just keeps draining and draining and draining. And then, of course, I'm going to call it the natural disasters, the storms, plural. John just mentioned, we've been watching most all of us this morning in, in Louisiana, what's taking place. Okay, now, you know, 
We've had hurricanes before. Most all of us here have been through hurricanes. But it's, it's more than just that. I mean, the, the natural disasters in the last year or two have just been almost unbelievable. I was mentioning last week about the earthquake in Haiti, these, these fires. As of yesterday, I didn't check this morning, but as of yesterday, in the United States, there are 84 what is classified major fires. This morning, Tahoe, the entire area is being evacuated. It's one of the most beautiful areas I've ever been in my life. But it's not just the smoke now. I mean, the smoke is just making it where you can't breathe in Taco, uh, Tahoe. And so people are all being evacuated out. But it well may be the fire comes right on in there. But it's just, you know, this just is not, you look at all these natural disasters. Uh, a week ago in Waverly, Tennessee, that's a town a little bit up from Nashville, uh, just an unbelievable storm goes through. And yesterday they were showing, they're going through, they're still going through it a week after. People are being uh, life flighted in helicopters off of their roofs and off of the flat areas like in gas stations where you're going to buy gas. There'd be a big awning covering all that. People standing on that being lifted up and I'm thinking, my gracious. And you watch all that and you think, my you know, it's just draining to see. And then storm number seven, the Afghanistan storm. The Afghanistan storm is just the saddest thing. Um, you know, you look at that, and of course our military people were killed last week, and then you look at the faces of, of, of the children. I'm, I'm thrilled. Samaritan's Purse is very, very involved in trying to just get necessities for the uh, Afghanistan people that are being uh, able to get out. And our church is very much involved in, in supporting that ministry. And this past week even gave extra support. Uh, the way they're partnering with some others that are able to do that, it's just an amazing thing. So, But you watch all this, and it's just a draining, draining thing. Now, there is some good news. John said a moment ago, he didn't just want to bombard us with bad news, nor do I. But these are, these are real things. In addition to these, others have had a sudden loss of health. Others have had unexpected death of a loved one. Others have had relationships broken. I mean, there, there are many other storms that are draining people. But here's the good news. And there is good news. Listen carefully. There are five books in the Old Testament that were written for times just like these times. And uh, I, I, they're called the post-exilic books. And I want you... Uh, let, let me first, I'll just give them to you. They're going to put them on the screen, and you might want to jot them down. Then I'm going to show you something you, I think, would like to do that would help you later is just in your Bible reading. Of course, there's the book of Ezra, where we're going to be this morning, and then Nehemiah, then Haggai, then Zechariah, and then Malachi. Now, those books, all five of those books were written to help the Hebrew people as they were coming from Babylon captivity to go back into Jerusalem, and they were going back to what they thought was going to be life like it used to be. And they found it to be not at all like what they, uh, it used to be. 
And God inspired these five prophets to write these books. Now, let me encourage you to do something. This is, you'll thank me for this later. Open your Bible to the table of contents. Would you do that? Just in the very front of your Bible, I'm going to suggest that you make a little mark. And uh, there it is on the screen. They, they did that from one of my Bibles, and I, I'm looking at it. reads pretty good. Okay, go down. You'll, in your Old Testament books, go down to Ezra and Nehemiah. And I would just suggest you do a little bracket around Ezra and Nehemiah. And then at the right of those words, Ezra and Nehemiah, just write the words post-exilic, E-X-I-L-I-C. That's talking about after the Babylonian exile. Now, look at the last three books in the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And draw a little bracket around those, just a little bracket. And write also post-exilic. Now, later, when you're reading your Bible, like there's 66 books in the Bible, five of those books deal with the people of God, the Hebrew people, after they were coming back and when they came back from their Babylonian exile. So, you know, later on, one day, you might be reading something out of Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, said. But you know the big picture. All five of those books, each one of them deal with different aspects. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Now, having said that, let's look at the first of those books, the book of Ezra. Would you turn to that? It's in the Old Testament. Um, it's right past Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles is right past what? First Chronicles, right? <laughs> That's right, right before that, you know, Second, uh, second Kings and then First Kings. Well, all right, we're in Ezra, and I want you to turn with me in chapter number three. And, and I want to show you this morning uh, kind of where they were, and it's so much like where we will be. We're not there yet. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we, we're not out of all of our storms. But like the pandemic, it will finally be over. Now, a lot of different speculation about when it's going to be. It has a lot to do with the vaccines, but be that as it may, there will be a day. If Jesus tears, it will be behind us, but you know, there'll be other storms. And in these five books, there are some lessons taught, some principles that will help us as we go through storms in life, whatever they may be. And our battery, if I can say it that way, just gets kind of drained and you just say, man, I'm worn out. I just don't know. Well, <clears throat> these five books would be books to go to to find some good help. Now, let me show you the situation. In Ezra chapter 3, look down in verse 10. Now, they're back. They, th this group is out of Babylon, and now they're over in Jerusalem. And they're going to rebuild the temple. Solomon's temple has been destroyed. They're going to rebuild it. So here they are. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Now watch this. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. They're looking at this foundation that has been laid. And they're just thrilled to death about it. And it says, then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. 
You remember how excited we were when we got our foundation in this room? We had that service one Sunday night where we gathered here and, and wrote little uh, things on the concrete and prayed over it. Well, can you imagine going back to Jerusalem and, and there's the Solomon's temple has been absolutely destroyed and now they've laid the foundation for the new. They're all happy about it. But look in verse 12. But many, oh, everybody wasn't happy. Many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers, houses, old men who had seen the first temple. Now by that, you know these men are at least 60 and above. So they, lived, they had lived to see Solomon's temple. And now they look at this and they, they weep with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted for joy. Now isn't that a contrast? In one verse... You've got one group that looks at this and said, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. And you have this other group. They look at the same thing and they burst out weeping and crying. They, they were thinking, this is an abomination against God that we would lay such a, a, a little foundation as this. Verse 13 goes on to say, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy and the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. Now, quick background. The prophet Jeremiah, he preached in Jerusalem for 40 years to the Jewish people. And his message to them was, you must repent and turn from the worship of these false gods and, and worship the one and only true God. And if you do not do so, Jeremiah preached this for 40 years, the judgment of God is going to come. And what's going to happen? God's going to let you be taken captive over in Babylon. He preached 40 years. And the Bible gives not one record that any change of life was made. Can you imagine that? Preaching 40 years, nobody even got saved. Well, he, well, he did. He stayed faithful, but he also, in, in his preaching, said to them, God has spoken to me to say to you that when you go into Babylonian captivity, if you don't repent, that after 70 years, God is going to free you. And somehow, someway, Jeremiah didn't know exactly how that was, you're going to be able to come back to Jerusalem. So that, that was kind of his sermon, repent or else. You're going to have the judgment of God fall, and you're going to be in that captivity. Well, it's very, very interesting uh, how, how that thing all worked out. And so what happened was they did not repent. His, his sermons went unheeded. And Nebuchadnezzar and that Babylonian army, they marched all the way to Jerusalem. And it's interesting how this this, this deportation was not like one big deportation. It was actually three phases of this deportation. You know, it, it started in 605 B.C., and it went on all the way to 586 B.C. But what the, what the Babylonians did, they came in and they took the best of the Jewish people. They took the healthiest. They took the strongest. They took the people that were doing well in their business. They took the cream of the crop first, 
and they took them over uh, to Babylon. And then later, they came back. There was like a second wave. They got some more of the very best, and they took them. And then there was a third wave. Later, they came back, and they took another group. Now, in Jerusalem, they left the poorest people. They left the common people. Nebuchadnezzar was very smart knowing that the Jewish people, those that were successful, were real successful. And if he could get them over in Babylon, they'd be successful there. They could have their own businesses over here. They could have their own homes. They, could, they lived a pretty free life over here except one thing. They could not go back home. They couldn't go back to Jerusalem. They could not leave Babylon. And so that's kind of the background of all, of all this material. Now, it's, it's very, very interesting as you think about that. Like 70 years later, what happened was very, very interesting as they, as they had three waves coming back in. And, you know, as you read that story in the Bible, of course, uh, the first wave, uh, a man named Zerubbabel, uh, he led the first group out of Babylon back over into Jerusalem, and he was going to be the one to build the temple. And then, and after Zerubbabel, of course, you had Ezra. We're reading out of Ezra this morning. It was about 58 years later. It didn't all happen at once. He led another group back. He was not going to rebuild the temple. He was going to kind of rebuild the spiritual temple of the people. And then later, this man, Nehemiah, he led another group back. They didn't all come back. Many stayed. They could have come back. The purpose to come back was to rebuild the temple. And, and, and Nehemiah, he brought them back, and they built the walls around the city. You are familiar with that story. Now, hear this. If, if you read all five of these post-exilic books, there are some, they deal with different aspects of all this, but there are some lessons to be learned. And this morning... I want to deal with two of them. One has to do with you as an individual. And the second has to do with us as a church. And I wish you'd take your bulletin and just jot down the little blanks that I have here. The first big lesson as you read these books and think about what you learn as you observe what happened it's very, very interesting, and here's what it is. We can count on the Word of God in all circumstances, no matter how bad they are. I almost said how bad they seem. <laughs> Let me tell you, sometimes things seem worse than they are, but sometimes things are bad. And here's, here's the big lesson. It's worth, hang on to this. You, you can count on the Word of God in all circumstances, no matter how bad they are. Now, as I think about even more background to what we are looking at this morning, the prophet Isaiah, this is interesting. The prophet Isaiah, 150 years before all this, had said, God gave him this message to the Hebrew people. One day, it was a long way off, you're going to be over in Babylon, and God is going to send someone to make it possible for you to leave Babylon 
and come back to Jerusalem. 150 years before this ever happened. And then, 150 years later, what happened? <laughs> well, a man named Cyrus, king of Persia, became that one. You're in chapter 3. Look back in chapter 1. We'll just read a verse. Ezra chapter 1 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord. Now, now Cyrus is not a believer. No, but see, God works in all ways. A word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, and there through verse 4 is the proclamation. And what it was, it was he said, I'm, I'm, I'm issuing this proclamation. I'm allowing the Jews, the Hebrew people, to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. That was the whole deal with even him. So he became that one. And when I think about putting all that together, that's where I had this thought. We can count on the Word of God in all circumstances, no matter how bad they are. Now, I want you to think with me about something. Did you know, maybe you've never thought of this, maybe you have, the Word of God and His promises, they are the, God's promises are the only things that you can count on 100%, listen carefully, that you can see. Now you think about that a moment. Like we're going through life and a storm comes, and in our minds sometimes we think, well, you know what, storm comes, I can count on fill in the blank 100%, no matter how bad the circumstance is. I'm saying to you this morning, there is not one thing that you can see that you can count on, listen to this, 100% when storms come your way in life. Now, some say, that's not right, preacher. I have family I can count on 100%. Well, maybe so, but not really. They, they won't always be here. I mean, we sometimes get there, well, my family will always be here to help me when I go through whatever. Well, you, you can see your family. But I'm saying to you, that's not 100%. Some say, oh, I have friends. Listen, I have several friends no matter what I go. Okay, thank God for our friends. But listen, you can't count on your friends 100%. One reason is they won't always be here either. So, you know, don't, don't sit around saying, well, you know. Well, some people have this idea. Well, I tell you what I can see. I can look in the mirror and see myself. I have a good mind. I have strength. I have energy. You know, I, I, I can do it. Don't count on yourself 100% because there are things that come in life bigger than you and I can handle on our own. Could I have an amen to that? And I can think of so many. Some say, well, I have a good mind. You know, I read a letter this week that someone handed me, it was okay to do so, that had been written to them about a wife sharing about her husband. I know him well, have known him for years. The wife I used to pastor her parents back in Sulphur Springs. And now this man, his mind, he, he doesn't have a mind, really. He can't think. See, we always think, well, I'll, I, I'll figure out what to do. Let me tell you something. Don't count on that 
You one day your mind may be where you can't figure out what to do. Okay. I, I'm just saying it encourages me to know that, I mean, I have it right here in my hand. I can see it. The promises of God are here, and we can count on them 100% no matter how bad the circumstances are. And that's one of the great lessons in this little story that we have in these five books. Now, there's another there's another great lesson that I missed this morning. It, it's not individual. It is us as a church. And this is one reason I wanted to preach the sermon. I'm the pastor of the church. And I thought, as pastor of the church, I need to deal with this. And God put on my heart when to deal with it. It's interesting. I was scheduled to preach today and had my sermon prepared. I had about four hours more work that needed to be done, but it was basically pulpit ready. And Monday of this week, God spoke to my heart and said, you need to preach this to the people. And I thought, well, I will. And God said, preach it to the people Sunday. And I thought, well, I'm already prepared. I thought, I'll have to get up another sermon. I called John. He said, you sure God told you that? I said, I'm double sure, John. I, this morning, you put the people to sleep last week. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to hear the pastor this morning share from his heart, based on things I see in the story in these five books, that apply to us as a church. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's very, very important. Here's what it is. Now, look in your bulletin. I wish you'd at least fill in the blanks on it. We can expect people to come out of COVID with mixed emotions. Like, it's a storm. Now, one day, we will be back. We won't be talking anymore about COVID. And we're all going to be back. Whatever we is, we're going to finally all get back, okay? And the interesting thing is, I've already figured this out. God's made this clear to me. And when I read this story, it just became crystal clear. People are going to come back when church whether it be our church or whatever church, but I'm dealing with our church now. And they're going to expect one thing, and many of them are going to shout and praise God and be happy, and many of them are going to, <laughs> they're going to weep. They're going to say, you know, this is not how it used to be. Well, that's exactly what these people said back here. Uh, the older people that had seen Solomon's temple, when they came back and saw this, they thought, well, man, alive, we want it back like it was. Now, what I'm saying to you is this. It will never be like it was. So well, I wish you hadn't said that. Well, you want me to preach a lie? No, it'll never be like. Like we had 9-11. Do y'all remember 9-11? America's never been the same since 9-11. You know, like flying on an airplane changed drastically since 9-11. Now, we may have forgotten about 9-11. I hope not. But it changed things. It, it, it just was never the same again. Okay, but listen. It, it's it's going to be better. And I'm going to show you the verse in a moment. It's going to be better. And I'll show you, I'll tell you why it's going to be See, the fact that when we come back, it won't be the same is a good thing. And you say, well, how could it be a good thing? Well, uh, I think it will be a good thing for two reasons. Number one, I think even before we come back, we've already learned this. 
But COVID pushed us and is pushing us. And it's not just the church. I'm dealing with the church, but I think it'll be the business world. If the business world has not figured out how to do business during COVID, they're in real financial trouble. And some will never figure it out, and they won't stay in business. But my prediction is five years from now, there'll be businesses that are thriving businesses today that don't even exist that are a result of COVID. Some smart people out there will figure out how to do things that we never would even thought about needing to do, and they'll get filthy rich doing it, which is okay, you know, after earning an honest living. Well, down at the church, here's, here's one of the things that I say makes it good. Now, listen to this carefully. We are learning, and we'll learn more to eliminate non-essentials. Now, hear this, and focus on what is important. And COVID is teaching us that. And we're not through learning yet. There are many things you do in church life that are really, they're good things. There's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> but they're not, they're not essential things. But they take all your energy and all your time and all your resources. And everybody enjoys it. But, but the problem with it is, it, it's not what matters. We as a church will come back it's going to be better because we are going to focus on what matters. I hope you're glad about that. I mean, if we're not going to focus on what matters, folks, what matters is the second reason it's going to be better. If churches know what they're doing, they're going to figure out during COVID if they've already figured it out. And, and I'm convinced many will never figure it out. But here's the deal. This whole idea, you know, we just can't wait for all this to get over and everybody come back to church. Look, hear me carefully. Our focus does not need to be we want everybody to come back to church. Our focus needs to be we need to get the church out to the people. That's the focus. And when you do that, they'll come to church. Now listen to me. Nobody wants the room full more than I want the room full, okay? We all, it's just fun when a room is full. And it's encouraging each week, we just keep kind of creeping back a little. Last Sunday, would you have thought we'd have ever been proud of this number? Last Sunday, we had 1,010 in connection groups. Man alive. We, you know, well, it's, 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 it's kind of coming back. But now look, whether the room is full or whether the room is half full, the important thing is that Jesus be in the room. That's the important thing. See, if you have the room full or half full, and Jesus is not in the room, all you have in the room is just a crowd of people. And that's a message. Now, turn over. I want to show you the verse. Turn over to Haggai. If you go kind of to the end of your Old Testament and back up. You're in Malachi, and then you're going back up through Zechariah, and then you're going to be in Haggai. I'm going to show you a verse. You ought to mark it. Some of the newer translations do a much clearer job translating the verse. But turn over in Haggai. Remember now, he's writing to the same people. And in chapter number, in chapter number 2, I want you to look down in verse number 9, what the Bible says. Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of this latter temple. 
Now that's that temple they just laid the foundation on. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former temple. God said, look, Solomon's temple and all of its splendor was something else. This latter temple is going to be even greater than that, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now, primarily, this speaks of the millennial temple. The millennial temple uh, will be glorified by the very presence of Jesus. When Jesus comes back, we're talking about the So that's what God's really talking about. But what it's saying to you and to me now is the future is going to be better than the past if we will not do the things that sap and drain our energy instead of doing the things that are the most important. And the important thing is, like when Jesus is in this temple, it's going to be the glory of the Lord there. Now, we're not there yet. We're, we're not there yet. Well, we're here now, and, and we're waiting on his coming. But in the meantime, here's the good thing. You know, when you become a Christian— the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. In Romans chapter 8, you read that. So, now the Spirit of God is everywhere. I understand that. But each one of you that's a Christian, the Spirit of God indwells you. So when you come in this room, you bring the Spirit of God. And the more people that's in the room, the more you sense and feel the Spirit of God. I can be around certain people, and you just feel the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is in those people. And so what I say this morning is this. The big thing to me, yes, we want to get all the people back to church, but the bigger thing than that is when we come to church, whether it's full or half full or whatever, the big thing is Jesus be in the church. Amen.